That was a good prayer. You mind if I pray again? Okay, good. Holy Spirit, fall on us today. Breathe on us. Come in power. Break open our hearts. Pour yourself into us. Come and have your way today. I pray for the, the people of Yemen and Syria and Jordan that have been affected by war. I pray that you would use the war <clears throat> to do the same thing in them, that you would break open their hearts and pour out your spirit, meet their needs, show them who you really are. Let them encounter you and bring them into the kingdom. Jesus, I pray that you would make us desperate for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, speaking of war, you guys want to go to Jordan with me in October? There's no war in Jordan. October 19th through 31st, we partner with a church out there that is doing some crazy good work receiving like 100,000 Syrian refugees. If you want more questions, if you have questions about that, see me afterwards. I know, you're like, uh, nope. <laughs> Don't worry, it's really safe. I would take my six-year-old there. Uh, and I know that also doesn't mean much to you. <laughs> um, okay, so the intro. How does this sermon fit? We've been in 1 Corinthians. We hit 12 with the gifts. A little weird, but y'all are doing great. Taylor hit 13 about love last week. Super solid sermon. Then uh, this week, I'm going to be talking about some of the practicalities of that. Essentially, how do you practically live out the gifts and how to live out God's love is you become like a child. It's super simple. It's almost too easy. It is too easy. And then next week, Taylor's uh, going to preach another standalone sermon that also does some practicalness. And then we're going to get back into 1 Corinthians 14. So I'm really excited to be here with you. I'm excited to be part of what God's doing in this house. And I'm excited to uh, see what he's going to do in and through you in the next coming months as we lean into some uncomfortable obedience. Is that okay? Okay, good. Yeah, as we lean into uncomfortable obedience. Obedience. So I'm not an expert at what I'm about to preach about, uh, but I have a couple things that may benefit you. Even though um, walking out the gifts is a little intimidating, you shouldn't feel intimidated. Uh, that's that's a, a pretty common thing. But today, we're going to talk about being dependent on God or how to be a child of the King of Kings. And so... Uh, I'm going to reread the text, and I think this text is coming right against a particular cultural issue that we have in this neighborhood. Um, so at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Strong words. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Seems pretty straightforward, except for the part that doesn't make any sense. Um, First off, I love that this is in the scripture because the disciples, they're not having a theological conversation of which of the Old Testament prophets was the greatest. That's not the, the type of discussion they're having. They're saying, I'm better than you. And the, Peter's like, no, 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 bro, I walked on water. I'm better than you. And John's like, no, 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 no. I put my head on his chest. I call myself the, his favorite when I write my gospel. So they're fighting over who's the best. And they, like, they're not even ashamed of it. So they're like, hey, Jesus, which one of us is the best? And Jesus says, uh, nope. He picks up a little one and says, this little one's the best. This is the, this is the most important one. This is the highest valued in the kingdom. To get into the kingdom, to get into my reign and rule, you got to be like this little one who can't do anything. We have a, a new little one here with us today. Sweet baby Grace, whose the only expectations on her is to eat and sleep, poop, maybe grow, but that's, that's all she has to do. And she brings her parents so much pleasure. So Jesus says, you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom. Why does he say this? I think there's a few different reasons, and I'll go over them. Uh, number one, I think because children know that they don't bring anything to the table. You want to be in the kingdom, you have to understand that you don't offer the king anything. That's impossible. If you think you bring something to the table, you're, you're wrong. The only thing that we should bring to the table is surrender. And, okay, I fall at your feet. I have nothing. Help me. That's what it takes to get into the kingdom. Kids recognize their needs. Sometimes uh, we as adults aren't very good at that. Sometimes we hide our needs. But kids, they, they are really good at recognizing their needs. And they'll tell you, Mom, I'm hungry. Or Sam, like just 10 minutes ago, Mom, I want a piece of gum. We're like, no, we're worshiping. Mom, I need a piece of gum. Hey, we're, we're praying. Mom, I need a piece of gum. Kids don't have to be taught. Hey, communicate your, your desires to your, to your parents. Tell us about your needs. And the last one, kids are so good at receiving. Uh, we, our pride keeps us from being able to receive from the Lord, but not kids. The, the Jesus Storybook Bible calls kids gift experts. And I don't think it's talking about uh, like the gifts of the Spirit in that. But Jesus is welcoming the little children, and he said these are the best because they are gift experts. They're good at receiving. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be good at just receiving. But you don't get any credit for that. <laughs> you don't get any glory for that, which is fine because Jesus deserves all the glory, and we deserve none of it. Whew. Okay, if you're taking notes, 
and you should. Here's, here's probably the most important thing I'm going to say. The measure of spiritual maturity is not based on what someone does for God, but how well they receive from God. I'll say it again. The measure of spiritual maturity is not what you do for God, but how good you are at receiving from him. So for us to be humble like a child, I'd say there are four things that any good child would and should do. And that is stay close to the Father, stay dependent, listen, and obey. So Jesus says, do you want to inherit the kingdom of God? Then become like a child. I think this is one of the reasons we keep kids in this service at the beginning. I love having kids in the service. Even when one of them cries, like, I've been in churches, and they're like, hey, don't let the kids cry. Get the kids out. We don't do that here. In fact, if Taylor was rude to a parent who had a kid that was crying, I'd be like, I would fight him. And he's a skinny guy, so I could probably take him. We don't scowl at parents when the kids are making noise. In fact, I want to start a kid's healing team uh, just because kids usually have more faith than adults. <laughs> and if they got more faith and they're better at receiving, they're better at bringing down the, the power. <laughs> um, in fact, Josiah and I, we've, we have discussions about this kind of stuff a lot. And kids believe what you tell them and they have faith. So one time I was, I took Josiah to Walmart and there's this guy on crutches and Josiah's like pulling on my shirt. He's like, dad, let's go pray for him. He, got, he's need, he needs healing. And I'm like, duh, duh, duh. no, I don't, I don't want to. That's, he probably, uh, he doesn't look like he speaks English and I don't speak that language. I it's probably going to be weird. And <sighs> Okay, fine. Because you got to do it. Like if your kid's like ready to take a step of faith, you don't, you don't squash that. Okay, fine. Let's go pray for him. So I'm like, hey, we find out that like a, something fell on his foot. And so I was like, all right, Josiah, you told us to come over here. Let's do the thing. So he puts his hand on the guy's, the guy's on his crutches. Josiah puts his hand on his hand and says, all right, Jesus, I just command healing over this guy right now in Jesus' name. And I was like, that's good. And Josiah's like, all right, see you later. And I'm like ready to leave because it's a little weird. And so I'm like, yes, thank you. Nice to meet you. And we're walking away. And Josiah goes, Dad, why didn't you ask him if it felt better? And I'm like, oh, man. Good, good job, faith kid. Why don't you ask him? Uh, there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Plus, it really seems like if you read the scripture, God is strangely self-limiting. In many cases, uh, he invites us to partner with him in the redemption of all things, in the redemption of all things, the restoring of the garden to the earth. Um, when he gave Adam all this authority and then Adam broke it and gave it away. And we partner with God in the same way that I would partner with my one-year-old Levi if we were gardening together. Because he, he has no skills, he has no gardening skills whatsoever. But if he was sitting in my lap 
and I'm holding his hand, and he's holding the trowel, and we're scooping dirt together, and I give him the water hose, and he sprays everything, and we're doing this together. That's the way God wants to partner with you as you walk in childlike faith receiving from him. So our hands are moving, but his hand is making the things happen. Does that make sense? All right. A couple examples. God chose to use a little boy who brought the lunch and fed 5,000. Five loaves and two fish. Uh, he chose to use Moses, a guy with a stuttering problem who also was a murderer, who also was hiding on the back end of the desert. Uh, and he used that guy to rescue his children from slavery in Egypt. Uh, he used, chose to use David, an adulterer, a shepherd, a murderer, to establish the kingdom that the Messiah would come through. He chose to use Saul, turned Paul, who was the original terrorist. <laughs> and then he uses that guy to write half the New Testament. That's kind of crazy. God uses all these, these people that are not the best, not necessarily the brightest, not got the best past, and he uses them to do crazy things if they're able to receive from him, which is a little insane. God, the maker of heaven and earth, who revealed himself perfectly through Jesus, who holds all things together by the word of his power, the same one who stretches out the north over empty space and creation and hangs the earth on nothing, chooses to use the insignificance to bring his kingdom to bear. That is what Jesus meant when he said, my power is made perfect in weakness. It means that he will take the least from among you, the least intelligent, the least well-trained, the least capable for the sake of his name. The little children. Now, of course, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need you to do anything. He can snap and everything's done. All things are recreated because he has that kind of power. But he beckons you to join him in the epic of all epics, in the greatest narrative in all of history, in the Lord of the Rings is a tiny, tiny thing compared to what God has for us to do walking with him. that grand narrative that starts at the beginning when God said, let there be light, all the way to the end when he says, there will be no need for light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever with him. So God does not value us for our capacity. It's quite the opposite. So let's talk about us though kids are the, the standard. That's what we're, we want to grow into is being childlike. But what, what do we carry? What do we have? Um, in America, and perhaps particularly in this part of town, uh, self-reliance is the quintessential virtue. Self-reliance is uh, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't show any weakness. Don't have any needs. Don't really let anyone too close uh, because you've got all this pressure to perform at a high level. And if you need anything, you're not good enough and people are going to find out and you're going to be exposed as a fraud, essentially. You ready for this? Self-reliance is anti-gospel. If you are reliant on yourself, you cannot receive grace, which is unmerited favor, undeserved favor. If you're trying to 
to earn it. <laughs> That's the only thing that will preclude you from earning it. The only thing that keeps you from receiving grace is trying to get it on your own merit. Independence or self-sufficiency is not a biblical virtue. If anything, desperation is. You look at all of the, all the times that God did crazy, crazy things. Usually comes right after someone says, hey, Lord, we're desperate. Help us. Not even Jesus was self-reliant. And he's the visible image of the invisible God. He said, I can do nothing on my own authority because I'm not trying to do what I want, but only what he who sent me wants. He also said, the son can do nothing on his own. He only does what he sees the father doing. Do you guys know that Jesus, other than being born to a virgin, didn't do any miracles before his baptism? That surprised me when I read that about a year or two ago. I was like, no, surely he, nope, he didn't do any miracles uh, before his baptism. In fact, the, uh, the power and authority that he did things with came from being filled by the Holy Spirit. That source of his authority came from his intimacy with the Father because he was an expert in abiding. Self-reliance is dangerous because it's isolating and it's deceptive and it's destructive and it keeps you from being able to be in God's presence. It's filth to him. Now, self-reliance says, make my name great. God-reliance says, make his name great. So if you are uh, independent, there's a little bit of pride there, potentially. And there's a little bit of a mistrust of God. Because if you're saying, no, 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 I can do things on my own. Because when, when God's in control, he tells me to do things that make me uncomfortable. Or I'm going to do a better job running my life than God does. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share two quick pictures of the difference of self-reliance versus trusting in God in the Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament, Exodus 16, you got the Israelites, they're in the desert, and they're griping. They're like, we might as well have just stayed in slavery because we had, at least we had meat back there. So God says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll give you meat, and then I'll make bread rain from heaven every day except on the seventh day. And all you got to do is gather it, and you'll be full, and it's sweet, tastes like honey. You'll enjoy it. So the first day, quail carcasses just cover the entire camp. And there's so much quail, they gorge themselves on it. Then after that, uh, manna comes down, and it rests like with the dew on the, on the grass there. And the word manna, it actually means, what is it? And uh, that's funny. But, so they're like, what is this? And, but the thing about manna is it only lasts a day. God gives it to the Israelites. They gather it and they can eat it, but they can't store any for the next day. If they do that, it always goes bad. Except on the sixth day, God says, gather double, because on the seventh day, I don't want you to gather anything. I just want you to rest. So they keep messing that up and it goes bad. And God gives them a uh, decree that says, if you, uh, if you do work on Sabbath, it shows that you're not trusting me and those people should be put to death, <laughs> which is like really harsh. But it's not the, I don't think it, that the issue is like, 
oh, I'm picking up sticks on, on the Sabbath, that deserves death. I think it's you are showing yourself to be self-reliant rather than dependent on God. You don't trust him. So as the Israelites gathered, if they tried to let it, you know, store some for the next day, it always went bad. But if they didn't, they always had enough. We're going to go back to that in a little bit. Man, how uncomfortable does that sound when you're like, okay, I have just enough for today. It's sweet, but it's a little uncomfortable, a little stretching, right? We'll come back to that in a minute. And then you've got uh, Peter in Matthew 14. Jesus (laughs) sends the guys across the lake, and then Jesus is out walking on the water to Peter. To them, they all freak out. They think it's a ghost. Peter says, if it's you, call me out. I'll come walk out on the water to you. And Jesus says, come. So Peter does, and he walks on the water. And as he's keeping his eyes on Christ, he's doing it. What a, what a crazy, crazy thing. And then he sees the wind and the waves, and he looks down, and he starts to sink. And he says, Jesus, help. Jesus pulls him up. He says, you have little faith. He sticks him in the boat. You have little faith. He was doing so good. What a huge risk to say, call me out. I'll I'll go. When his eyes were on Jesus, he had supernatural power to walk on water. Guys, you know that's a real story from the Bible. (laughs) Like, we're not making this up. The measure of spiritual maturity is not based on what one does for God, but how well one receives from the Lord. So if you're the bomb at receiving from the Lord, then you're going to be leaving a major dent in the transformation of the world. If you're terrible at receiving from the Lord, you're probably operating out of your own power. And that is like plugging an extension cord into itself. There's nothing happening. It's not going to be any benefit. If you want power, plug the cord into the wall. Then you've got power. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he's the one that will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what that means? If you want fruit, so Jesus is the the vine, you're the branches. If you want fruit over here, you basically are just a straw from the source to the fruit. That's... That's what the, uh, the Christian life ought to be. Be a good straw, guys, and just receive, and then the, the fruit will be there. Now, here's where we get to the, here's the rub. How do I get good at receiving from the Lord? I'm glad you asked. Steward the still, small voice of the Lord. The thing that you think is probably just an inner monologue, that's not always the case. Some, some of our thoughts are our own. Some are from the Holy Spirit. Some are from the accuser. So if you feel accused, don't receive that. That's from the accuser. If you feel encouraged or if you feel like you should do something, and then your flesh says, no, 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 don't do that. That's weird. Like when Josiah's like, hey, pray for that guy on the crutches. No, no, no. Josiah is speaking from the Holy Spirit and without fear. I'm afraid, so I don't want to do this. Obviously, there's two sources of these thoughts. So, steward the still, small voice. The more you obey it, the more you'll hear it. 
The more you push it down, the harder it will be to hear it. Now, this isn't something weird that I just made up. I know that. I know how I'm viewed. I'm probably super weird. I'm okay with that. But this is not something weird I just made up. This is actually the new covenant. This is the new covenant promise. God gave his law to his people. He said, follow these laws. I'll be your king. We'll be fine. That'll be our relationship. They had a DTR. Define the relationship in Exodus 20. Ten commandments. They screwed up. They couldn't do it. So God said, okay, I'll give you a new covenant. Instead of just giving you the book, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to live inside of you. I'm going to be so close to you that you're going to think that my words are your thoughts. I will put my law into your heart. I will give you a new heart. I'll take away your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to open up your ears. I will be their God and they will be my people and they will know me. Jeremiah 31, 34. And then Jesus said the same thing. He said, my sheep hear my voice. They're talking about how do we know this? You're with them. And Jesus says, no, no, no. My sheep are the ones that hear my voice. I know each of them and they follow me. They follow me. When I whistle, we lived in the Middle East for a while and our Arabic teacher, his family was shepherds. And he said that he had, their family had something like 500 goats. I don't remember the number. It's some high number of goats, maybe 100. And he said that each one of his goats had a different name and a different personality. And he had a different whistle for each one of his goats that he could whistle and one particular goat would come to him. My sheep know me. My sheep know my voice. They know that one specific whistle. I want that one. Bless the Lord. So we were designed for a relationship. The new covenant is that relationship. So one thing that we have to do is we have to stop assuming that God's not going to answer when we pray. Our expectations of God are blasphemously low. We have an issue. We're like, oh, man, that stinks. We should say, oh, man, that stinks. Lord, can you help me with this? Like, you don't have to tell your kids to, if they're having problems, they'll tell you. If you're having problems, go to your father. He's a good father. Jesus is the best older brother. And what a terrible relationship I would have with Meryl if I only communicated with my wife using the old letters that we wrote to each other. Or if, like, I texted her all the time and she never, ever texted back. Like, some people pray that way. They think that, that's, that all they get is a one-way communication. Miserable. That's a miserable relationship. That's why people don't pray for real because they're like, I'm just, it's talking to a wall. You got to be insane to continue to talk to a wall when it ever answers you. Have expectations that God will speak back. Now, I'm not saying that whatever you hear is from the Lord. That's dumb. That's dangerous. Don't, don't just think that, oh yeah, here's a thought. Maybe it's from the Lord. That's, that's not the case. There's a, a couple 
boundaries or tethers that we should have in that. And one is Scripture. Whatever his word says, his spirit will never disagree with his word. So write down what you think the Lord's saying to you. You got to commemorate it. Make it Ebenezer so you don't forget. Confirm with Scripture and then confirm with community. Because that's the Scripture wasn't just made for an individual. It was made for the community of God. The family of God in community in relationship with him. All right. Story time. My wife says that uh, anytime I speak, I'm so circular. It's because I spent time in the Middle East. That's the way we do things there. But now I'm going to tell some stories. Um, so I work with immigrants and refugees, and we do fundraising for our work. And about three years ago, I got a text from my boss. It was during an uncomfortable season. We were back in the States unexpectedly. Not my fault, because there was a bit of a war. So we couldn't go back overseas. Uh, so we floundered for a little bit. It was an uncomfortable transition being back in the States. And so we're trying to find our bearings, and my, box te my boss texts me. He says, hey, bro, hope you're well. Uh, just so you know, uh, you don't have enough money in the, the bucket that you've raised to uh, get a full paycheck. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, crap. Uh, I'm going to go pray real quick. So at that point, we lived right next to Houston's First Baptist. So I went across the street, up into the prayer room they have there, put my face on the ground, and I said, Lord, I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I, I was a little bit more. I was like, Lord, I'm really uncomfortable. Um, what do you want me to know about this? So I heard, but not audibly, just in my spirit, it sounded like a thought, um, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and I'll take care of all of your needs. I was like, I don't have to guess whether or not that's the Holy Spirit. That's straight scripture. I can receive that. Still a little uncomfortable. Um, Lord, do you want me to know anything else? And I heard the word manna. And I was like, dang it. I know what that means. I don't want manna. I don't want daily bread. How about uh, like yearly bread? Or biannual bread, Lord. But not daily. That's so uncomfortable. <sighs> okay, fine. I had peace. At that point, I had peace. I was like, I trust you. This is similar to the same stretching that you've been doing for a while. So I get back in my car. I do the U-turn. And then the second U-turn to get back to where our apartment was. And on the curb, right after hearing manna, I saw... This on the side of the road. That's an unopened loaf of Wonder Bread. I was like, that's stupid. So I took a picture of it with my phone, and I got home, and I told Meryl about it. I was like, is this, did God put bread on a curb so I'd trust him? Or did, like, a homeless man do this? <laughs> okay. I was like, fine. I received that. You can just leave that up. Fine. I received that. Anyway, uh, we checked the mail that day, and there was a, an unexpected gift that got us to the end of the month. It was like $2,300, I think. Uh, so uh, I cried a bit. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. Appreciate that. Uh, but then the next month rolled around, and I got another text from my boss. I was like, okay, I'm going to go pray again. <laughs> 
So I go up into the prayer room. I put my face on the ground. And I say, all right, Lord. Little nervous. I'm back again. Hi. Uh, kind of uncomfortable. And I heard, don't you know that the birds are sold two for a penny and I take care of all of them? I feed the birds. I can take care of you. Thanks, Lord. I'm filled with peace. I go home. On the way, I see this picture. Not this, yep, right there. Someone had fed birds. Someone put bread out for the birds. I'm like, okay. I received that. Within 24 hours, we got an unexpected gift. We're good for the rest of the month. Uh, so then a couple months go by, we get another text, and I hear, uh, this one is Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five. I have been young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And I was like, come on, Lord, surely we're running out of bread references in the Bible. <laughs> Surely we're almost out of this desert. It feels like 40 years. In fact, at that point, um, I was just finishing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to my boys. And you know how Lewis describes Aslan, the great lion, who is so beautiful and amazing and ferocious that whenever he speaks, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve can almost barely look into his face, but his eyes burn with such ferocity. They can't even look upon him without getting chills, and he's just so magnificent and fierce. Anyway, so I'm, guess, still in the prayer room, face on the ground, and so I say, okay, surely we're running out of bread references. What else do you want me to know? And in what I would assume had to be what Aslan sounded like. Uh, I heard, I am the bread and the wine. And I got chills and I'm crying. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means, Lord. And he says, I'll give you what you need to survive. I'll be your daily bread. But I'm also the wine. I'll make you warm. I'll make your cheeks a little rosy. It's, I'm not just going to give you the bare minimum. I'll, I will be your satisfaction. All you have to do is feast on me. Depend on me. Receive from me. That's all you have to do. I'll give you everything you need and everything you want. Whew. I've had 11, maybe 12 times where this stupid stuff has happened. And we get <laughs> impossible, unexpected provision. After, oh yeah, <laughs> around that time, Meryl was at Kroger and someone left a shopping cart with a black box of wine in the, in the bottom of the Kroger thing. And she told me about it. I was like, did you get it? <laughs> She's like, no, I put it back. I was like, no, this is the bread and the wine. She's like, oh, So let me give you a little bit of context. I was telling all this stuff to a rabbi friend of mine, and he was like, surely the, you have an issue with your, like, why aren't you raising money? There's an, 
there's an issue with your systems here. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not that. I think the Lord has orchestrated this uh, so that I would learn to be totally dependent on him. He has kept me on a very short leash for the last three years. Um, And I can testify, it is a sweet taste to look at what you're eating and think, this was directly from the hand of the Lord. Not a lot of people get that. Not a lot of people get to say, I am desperate and I have peace. Usually it's one or the other. Usually it's I'm desperate and I'm in turmoil or I'm secure in my ability to provide for myself and I don't need anything. This is one of those gospel paradoxes where you're like, Lord, we're hosed if you don't do something right now. Plus, thank you. Just put your feet up and wait in this awkward space of dependence. So, in fact, um, since these things have been happening over the last three years, we've seen more fruit in our efforts than ever before. And I think primarily that's because I'm not doing anything on my own strength. Anytime there's a ministry opportunity, I think, well, I got nothing here. What do you got, Lord? That is the sweet spot in ministry. When you get to a point, you're like, I got nothing. Uh, Hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? And he's like, step aside. (laughs) I got this one. That's the sweet spot because that's where the power comes from. Because I don't have anything. So the Lord has been for three years teaching us how to abide His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And his glory is safe from me trying to grab it because I can't take credit for something, for someone getting blasted out of slavery because they heard God's voice when I wasn't even there. (laughs) God's like, hey, I get this one. You you tell him that I'll speak and that's it. Just go, go sit down. And then God brings massive transformation and massive healing. Hmm. And generational brokenness is cut off. I get to play a small role in a, in a big story. And it's certainly never due to my own wisdom or my own ministerial prowess. I am just a child. I'm a son. Uh, a child of the king and an heir to the kingdom, but a child nonetheless. Okay, so now here's a couple of the few strange things that have happened since we started getting really desperate for the Lord. A lot of healings, some folks knowing things they can't know because God told them. A Pakistani friend called us one night. They're having major health issues. We met him at the hospital. His, my friend's wife was bleeding. She was pregnant and bleeding. And so we went up there and prayed for her. And 30 minutes later, she was released because the bleeding had stopped. And he was like, this is amazing. And I was like, hey, bro, I told you, Jesus is more powerful than anything that you're experiencing. And they said, we believe this. I was like, come on. Uh, I used to, for three or four months, sell granite with a, uh, a Syrian, sorry, I keep messing this up. Uh, I sold granite with a guy from Syria and uh, it was here. I was a terrible granite salesman. 
but I worked with a bunch of Arabs, and so that was really cool for me. That's why I did it, not for the granite, because I don't care about that. Um, lady at the front desk, she's from Jordan. She's sick one day. I'm going to get some coffee. I'm like, hey, are you feeling okay? She's like, yeah, I'm just really sick. I can't breathe. I'm like, be healed in Jesus' name. Just very, you know, as, as you do. <laughs> Got my coffee. Went back to my seat. 20, 30 minutes later, I'm like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. So I pass her desk again. I'm like, hey, how you doing? She's like, hey, what did you do to me? I'm like, uh, what do you mean? She's like, I'm better. I'm healed. I'm like, oh, sweet. Uh, that's because Jesus loves you. Like, that's, that's just how this goes. She's like, this is crazy. And we ended up um, having a lot more conversations after that. But she was very, very surprised. Um, December 21st, last year, my boy James, he and I are very, very close. He texted me and said, hey, pray for me. Um, our friend's son, 13 or 14, ran away. His name's Jaden. Police have been looking for him for hours, and I just started looking, but I want you to pray for this. So I said, all right, ask God where he is. He's like, okay, cool. So he prays. He said, God, where's Jaden? So he texts me back. I should have given, I should have put this on it because I, I still have a picture of the text. Um, I said, hey, why don't you ask God where he is? And he said, I'll just read it. I see a fountain. I said, glory, go to it, bro. And I asked him, do you know if the fountain is like physical or metaphorical? And the next text I receive is, he's in my car. And I'm like, Jaden? <laughs> what had happened was, the kid was hiding in some bushes, and James was driving around this um, fountain area in this parking lot. James leaves. I say, ask God where he's at. He hears the fountain. He just makes a U-turn, comes right back in, parks where he was. When Jaden saw James leave the first time, he got up to walk across the parking lot. James pulls back in, stops. The kid has to walk around James's car to get to the other side where he's going. So James rolls down his window. He says, hey, buddy, you okay? You need any help? Jaden doesn't recognize him. He's like, no, sir, I'm fine, thanks. And James says, Jaden, it's James. Get in the car. <sighs> so he gets in the car, and then he prays with him for like 45 minutes while the cops come. I think he looked for Jaden for like 15 minutes. And the cops couldn't find him for six hours. Uh, my friend John, they couldn't have kids for like seven or eight years. They had several miscarriages. Then God spoke to him and they adopted two kids with special needs. They're amazing people, amazing kids. And then last year, they had a miracle baby. So I got, what I do is something crazy happens and I just take a screenshot of it. Because I want to be able to say, I save it to my favorites. Every once in a while, I'll scroll through the, my favorites and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person did this, or this person got saved, or this person got wrecked by the Holy Spirit, or this person got healed, or this person got found. Ebenezer things. You remember the things that God is doing. It's easy to forget. Sorry, that was free. Um, John, yes. So he texted me June. And he said, hey, uh, pray for us. Me and the oldest daughter are sick. 
but we don't want the baby to get sick, so we think it's flu and strep. I don't know. I've had a fever. Baby, the big girl has a fever. Uh, and I said, okay, uh, be healed in Jesus' name. I just texted him. I was like, yeah, exclamation point. Be healed in Jesus' name. And then he said, quote, so that was weird. Went to Walgreens Clinic, flu and strep negative. Doctor doesn't know why I was running 103 this morning, but 98.6 when I got here. So thanks for the prayer. I'm like, that is too easy. This is a normal, I mean, it's not daily, but this should be a normative thing for the people of the book. This should be a normal thing for you. I know it's weird. I know it's a little scary. Sometimes it's risky, but going to get coffee. I'll be healed in Jesus' name. And then they're like, what did you do to me? I prayed in Jesus' name. Tell me more. Is that a thing that you do? Yes. And God gives us the power because we're just like his kids and he loves to give his kids good gifts. Um, My sister was healed of asthma. I got to pray for Matt Chandler because some dudes had a word of knowledge about his shoulder when I was at a conference a year and a half ago. That was weird because I'm sitting right behind him. And I tell him, hey, Chandler's at this thing I'm at. He's right in front of me. My friend Mark goes, hey, ask him about his shoulder. I'm like, oh, crap. His shoulder needs healing. I'm like, no. I don't know if he's into this kind of stuff. This is kind of weird. And James goes, yeah, I confirm it's his right shoulder. I'm like, duh, fine. So I'm like, we're, in the, we're watching this other person speak. And Chandler is looking at someone behind me. And I'm like, hey, I need to talk to you. He's like, oh, okay thinking I'm like a fanboy or whatever. And uh, so I go to him afterwards. I show him the text. And he's like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I have a really bad shoulder issue. In fact, before I even spoke to him, after they told me, I did see him go like he was sore. And I was like, oh, it's not even a risk now. Okay, I'll be weird. So I prayed for him. And he was like, thanks, man. And then I hugged him just like really lightly, and it was like, and all these pops, and I was like, oh, okay, that, I think that's, that's, maybe you're healing. All right, I'm gonna go run away now. And then uh, this last month-ish, month and a half, when did you have surgery? Uh, Joni, everyone. Hi, Joni. Uh, you wanna just stand up for us real quick? <laughs> she should have a boot, for three more months. You want to say it? Just take it away. Just testify for a second. I didn't ask her to do this. This is a surprise. Um, yeah, so last month I had You're doing great. Just in case y'all were like, he's making all this stuff up. 
Four months instead of four days. Thanks, Lord. Yeah. Yeah, on a, I think it was like a month and a half ago at the first, or maybe a month ago at first Sunday prayer, I was like, hey, just until the pain is gone, just keep coming up. Like, I don't mind praying again. If something doesn't happen the first time, pray again. There's been multiple times where I've prayed for people and their pain has gone down but not finished. And so uh, I don't think, oh, man, that sucks. I don't, you know, I don't have enough prayer power or it's not that. It's just an opportunity to pray again. Let's, let's double down. Let's raise the stakes a little bit. Shoot, I'll pray 10 times. I don't, I don't care. One thing about this. I don't find my identity in this. I don't find my identity as the guy that has a couple crazy stories. If you want to find your identity in the gifts, don't do it. Because then if you pray for someone to get healed and they die, like that's, that could crush you. I got a, a friend, Nabil Qureshi, and prayed for him for a year. He had stage four stomach cancer. Prayed for him, prayed for him, prayed for him regularly with like 15, 20 other people. And he died. And even at the funeral, like this is people with crazy faith. Even at the funeral, we're doing the, the procession, hugging the family. And the wife says, keep praying, he's not in the ground yet. And I'm like, that is faith right there. I will continue to pray. So we prayed until he was put in the ground. Then we're like, okay, never mind. A lot of the folks that were praying in that really wrestled with who God was and who they were because they didn't get the breakthrough that they were asking for. Don't do that. I'll just go back a page. Uh, I'm a child, I'm a son. I'm an heir to the kingdom. That is my identity. I, what I produce, the fruit that I produce is only because God does the thing and I'm a straw and there's a fruit there. So all I have to do is be a good straw. I don't have to make anything happen. You don't have to make any breakthrough happen. The, the gifts are for the edification of the church to, to show love. If I pray for someone and they don't get healed, They've still felt loved. I, gosh, I know there's someone, I don't remember who it was, but someone came into the kingdom because someone else prayed for them and they weren't healed. They're like, I didn't get healed, but man, I feel super loved right now. Can you tell me more? They're like, oh, uh, come to church with me, I guess. Like this is so much pressure is off of you to make this happen. It's all on God. The only pressure on you is to listen and obey. Stay close, stay dependent, stay obedient to what he says. Real quick, almost done. If you have a couple of these issues, you may, this is like a litmus test for self-reliance. If you have prolonged anxiety, fear, or insecurity, if you're noticing that your heart rate is consistently higher than it should be, then come get prayer. I'll be right over here. Um, 
because his love destroys fear. It damages fear. If you have anxiety, it's because there's some disbelief in you. Fear comes always from believing a lie, and fear is a spirit that God has not given you. The, excuse me, first, second Timothy 1, 7, God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and sound mind. Uh, the second litmus test for self-reliance is prayerlessness or only praying small prayers. Uh, the prayers of a dependent person are audacious, bold, and impossible without God's intervention. So if you're praying, if you're praying Jesus, I gotta have some help right now. I got nothing. If you don't show up, we're in trouble. That's the sweet spot. Oh, just last Tuesday, I was with Ted. I got a frustrating text and... He prayed for that issue, and he also said, and Lord, if Justin's getting any headaches from this kind of stuff, I just rebuke that right now in Jesus' name. I didn't even tell him that I had a headache, but I did, and then I didn't when he prayed it. <laughs> and he was like, oh. He was kind of surprised, I think. Um, the next litmus test, pride. If you are uh, grabbing for glory, versus being self-forgetful. You don't have to think low of yourself. I don't think very low of myself. I, maybe I should. I don't think very low of myself. I just don't think of myself very often because I'm busy. I got other things on my mind like, that dude needs to get set free or, oh man, my heart breaks for that. Like, I'm not thinking, I know that I'm weird to a lot of people. I'm comfortable with that. I'm not thinking about it. If you are, how, how do other people perceive me? If you're um, all about how, you know, being respectable, whew, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. That's a big thing in this neighborhood. You don't have to play that game. You don't have to get your identity from what others think about you. Jesus is, his, his vision of you is better and he loves you and there's nothing you can do to stop that. The last litmus test is striving. If you're overwhelmed, exhausted, burnt out, over busy but accomplishing nothing, that shows that you don't make margin to receive from him. All the pressure's on you. You don't have to live that way. If you're not making margin to get quiet before the Lord, then you'll be, un you'll be consumed with unimportant minutia and it'll burn you out. You don't have to do that. There's, <laughs> the Bible talks about striving a little and it says, strive to enter his rest. The mark of spiritual maturity is not based on what one does for God, but how well he receives from God. I'm going to lead you. Why don't you uh, close your eyes and kind of open your hands like this. I'm just going to pray. You Feel free to confess with me uh, silently. Jesus, I confess I don't know how to lean on you. I'm afraid of really trusting you in this one specific area. I pray that you would conquer my self-reliance and kill my pride. Let my soul pant for you like a deer in the desert pants for water. I pray that you would make me thirsty 
and make me a gift expert. Um, I pray that I would be a gift expert, that I would be really good at receiving from you, that I would keep my hands open and my eyes up like a little kid, like a tiny baby wanting more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.